Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we're fortunate to have Haley Bohan on the podcast. Haley is the CEO and founder of SkillPop, a um, homegrown company. Um, she's had a wild ride over the last couple of years, um, starting SkillPop, growing it, going to Techstars, um, and taking it from city to city and slowing that expansion and now what seems like maybe re-accelerating some of that expansion. So really cool podcast to sit down and talk with Haley about how the idea came, um, how she's grown it, um, what have been the successes along the way, um, where she had to stop and pause and learn, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think you'll find this podcast to be really interesting. Haley's a, a fantastic CEO, um, you know, much like a number of the other women and the men that I've interviewed on this podcast, you sit down and really just get blown away pretty quickly at how much of a grasp she has on her business um, and how much her business uh, benefits from having her be its leader. So certainly hope you enjoy another episode of the Charlotte Angel Connection um, with Haley Bohan of SkillPop. So, Haley, welcome to the podcast today. Certainly glad to have you on and ready to listen and learn more about SkillPop. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, I usually um, I usually propose a softball question for everybody so that they can kind of warm up, settle down, mm-hmm. get the nerves and jitters out and everything else. Um, so, your softball question is, what's the best university in North Carolina? Oh, NC State. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> Awesome. So good to have a fellow Wolfpack grad on here. Um, who is Haley? Give us a little bit of background of you know who you are, what you did, besides going to the best university in the state. Right, right. Um, you know, give us a little bit of background before Skill Pop. Sure. So like like you said, I, well, I'll, I'll I'll back up. I born and raised in North Carolina, not in Charlotte, but I grew up in Greensboro, right down the road. Went to NC State for college and studied mechanical engineering. So that's kind of one of the first fun facts about me is I have a very technical product development background. Um, how many um, how many other females were in your mechanical engineering graduating class? Uh, probably ten out of one hundred and fifty. Yeah. What? Not a high number. Not a high number. Um, so that that was my college. But you know, I've always been um, a learner. I was a reader as a kid. I'm a reader now. So I've always been kind of a curious person. And I think that plays into the type of business I ended up, um, or the type of industry I ended up in. Um, but yeah, I went, went to state, studied engineering and then moved to Charlotte in 2013, just out of college to work, um, for a large consumer product company. I did test engineering and, um, product development for a little while for them. And then went and worked for a, another tech startup in the, um, local scene here. Um, and I guess I'm giving you more of my like LinkedIn profile or oh, resume good. than just like who I am. But um, really, I've spent the last uh, the last seven years here in Charlotte, been in North Carolina my whole life, but gotten to dabble in a few different fun things. So what um, what was your favorite kid book? Do you remember? Do you um, a couple? Probably if I had to pick one, um, I am the I'm 30 years old. I'm the age and the generation that was the same age as Harry Potter was when the books came out, okay. and so. Um, 
I, I'm on the spectrum of people who love Harry Potter. I'm not all the way at the top, but I did read all of the books. And I remember, you know, I remember going to the bookstore to get it every summer. And, you know, it was he turned 11 in the first book and it came out the year I turned 11 okay. and that kind of. So that's something I think is kind of cool. That's pretty cool. What's yeah. on your nightstand now? Right now, um, I am reading a fiction book called Before We Were Yours. That's a kind of a fast-paced historical fiction that's very good. And then this is maybe a cliche answer, but the thing I just picked up, it's a business book. I feel like everyone has read that I haven't, okay. and it's good to great. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, those, those are the two I'm working through right now. Um, and then I almost always somewhere near me have a copy of Traction. Uh-huh. That's probably the most influential business book that I've read. And okay. So we kind of use that as a textbook. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, Traction and EOS, a good thing maybe we'll touch base on in yeah, a little while. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what's Skill Pop? So we are a four-year-old startup that I started here in Charlotte. We do pop-up classes and workshops taught by local professionals on everything from photography to floral arranging to marketing. My crazy example I like to use is we have a backyard chickens class once a year with Renfro Farm. So we do in-person learning on all kinds of things um, right here in the community. Okay. So you started off in NC State, mechanical engineer, Mm -hmm. did product market testing, went and worked for a startup, Mm -hmm. um, and then you decided to teach classes. Um, yeah, exactly so, like that. Okay. <laughs> how did it, how does, I mean, so how did the concept, yeah, how did it come yeah. to life? Um, I, I love telling this story because it really came out of, I, I, I love hearing other startup stories. First of all, I think things come a lot of times come to life because it's a need, a need that you have. And skill pop was a need that I had, you know, I moved here and didn't, didn't know anyone besides some family friends that I'd grown up with. Um, and one or two people from college, but not, you know, friends of friends that kind of landed in the area. But I moved here by myself for that first job and, and spent the first three years that I was in Charlotte really just getting my footing as an adult, you know, finding out, um, getting into like the working world and the corporate life and figuring out, you know, what you do for fun and what you do after work and how do you meet people. And some of that I found really hard, you know, that found it hard to figure out, okay, how do you, how do you plug in and, and get more involved in the community? Um, and so three years into living here, you know, I was, um, I was at that tech startup. I had recently gotten married and I was kind of looking to get out of my comfort zone a little bit. Um, and so I started going to some networking events here in town and I think just saw a lot of people looking for the same thing, looking for community events. Um, and then simultaneously, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I've always been a learner, been a curious person, and I had a camera sitting on a shelf at home that was getting dusty because I didn't know how to use it. Probably like a lot of people out there, bought it on Craigslist with high ambitions. And then I thought, oh, wait, manual mode, what is, you know, <laughs> what is that? Um, so I started looking for options for where do you learn something just for fun? And the things I found were online learning, which never really worked for, for me, for my attention span. Um, or really intensive, like six, eight, 12 week classes that I just could not fit in my schedule. So those two things I needs I had and trends I noticed kind of came together in this concept of skill pop of just what if learning was easier and in-person learning was available to adults the way it is as you grow up. Yeah. So you're working for a startup. Mm -hmm. Um, you want to figure out how to use a camera. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, so skill pop kind of the concept of skill pop is born, so to speak. Yeah. Um, how long was it a concept before you started to take it out into, I guess, the first class, so to speak? Yep, yep. So this was um, the summer of 2015. So it was June of that year that I started thinking about it. 
Um, and, and I really spent June, July, August uh, writing a business plan, um, doing a, a, just a lot of casual conversations. You know, a lot of, I went through, you know, kind of pulled anyone I could think of that was in my network that would either be interested in being a student with us or a teacher with us. I interviewed my realtor and my wedding photographer, every small business owner that I could get in touch with. I held family friends hostage at dinner parties asking them, you know, do you have hobbies? How do you get them? <laughs> um, so you stopped being invited to dinner parties then? Well, we just had to throw our own and then not <laughs> let people leave. Yeah. Um, and, and then I was doing research on what else was out there. You know, the learning space after college, what does that look like right now? And so it, it was three months of that research testing um, prototyping phase and, and brainstorming and dreaming and kind of planning this out. And then somewhere in August of 2015, I settled on the name Skillpop and got the domain um, and pulled together a very rough drag and drop website and and put our first class into the world. Um, Our first class was a hand lettering basics class with a local artist. Her name is Kaylee Olson. And she was a friend of my realtor. So someone that I, you know, I was having lunch and said, I I think we need to do a class to see if this really works in real life like it does in my head. So I got her name, pitched her this concept over lunch before we even had the name Skillpop. And she said yes, and she signed on. And so we um, worked together to do that class totally for free, just to test it out at the old 809 Coworking, which later became part of Huga Coworking, where we are right now. Yeah. Um, and it, it was awesome. You know, it was one of those moments where I I thought we really have something here. You know, this is this is really special to have, I don't remember if it was 10 or 15 people in a room, but everyone's phones were away. People came with their neighbor or with their spouse or by themselves. We're meeting each other. We're talking. We're being creative. We're trying something new. And I just thought this is really special. Um, so I, gosh, I think I put in my um, notice a week or two later. So you're still with the startup at this point in time. Mm-hmm. So, August so this has been like nights and weekends, um, nights and weekends work in the kind of like dreaming and scheming phase. And then I, I put in my notice pretty quickly um, and said, I want to just give this a shot and see um, see what happens. I'll also say, I think this is maybe unique. I did, I kept working part-time in project management for about six months while I was getting this off the ground. Um, you know, one, to keep a foot in the door of my old career path if everything crashed and bombed. Yeah. Uh, and then two, just for a little bit of financial stability to, to, as I was feeling this out. Um, so balanced too, you know, went from uh, working for a startup and figuring, you know, planning for this nights and weekends to really balancing two jobs, like building skill pop and then working 30 hours a week at a nonprofit and then went all in about six months later. So timeline was idea in June, 2015, first class in September. And then I was full-time in hiring employees that March in uh, 2016. March, yeah. 2016. Yeah. Um, when did you get married? Um, 2014. Okay. So, so the you previous been, year. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you're married, you've got a nice job having fun, two incomes. Mm-hmm. I just bought a house. Just bought a house. Yep. You tell your husband, hey, look, that all sounds great, and I'm going to go start this business. How did that conversation go? It, not exactly like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was more of a partner conversation than, hey, this is fun, but I'm going to go start a business. Um, no, I mean, he was the first person I started talking to. I, I remember I was talking to him about it of like, and I'll tell you, William, like I had had we both had had this conversation. We, I mean, we both liked our jobs, but I think we both had had the days where we came home and said, I just want to quit my job and go do something else or go start a coffee shop or go start some, you know, we'd, I feel like a lot of couples have that. And so 
it wasn't new for me to come and say, hey, I have this idea. I had had other ideas before that he said, oh, Haley, I don't know about that. Yeah. And so it was this one. He was like, oh, that's really interesting. Um, so he was the first person I came to and, and started brainstorming with me and thinking it through with me. Um, and, you know, I had a close friend from college that I talked to about it and a um, my parents and friends and all of that. But when it came time for it to, you know, where it stopped being like, hey, what if learning was easier? What Here's a crazy idea I have. And started to transition to that phase of, I really think there's something here and I want to do something about it. You know, it, we, it was a it was a partner conversation, and we were pretty methodical about what does that take the leap moment look like. And so I still have um, the scrap of paper that I wrote down my list of, like, here's what we need for Skillpop to happen. And there were some personal things, like here's how much we need in the bank account. Yeah. Um, and there are some logistical things of, okay, I need to get a EIN number, and I need to open a business bank account, and I need a website. You know, but it was just that, and I love having that and looking back because. It really was the like, here are the bare bones to put something into the world. Um, it was an early framework of, of, you know, pushing it out. Yeah. Yeah. How much of that, um, how much of that process of starting a company, the, the EIN number, mm-hmm. the eventual workers' compensation number, the this, the that, the, how much of that was a surprise to you? Or did you kind of expect just mm. this whole world of, regulatory chaos to come crashing down on your head? Um, I don't know if this will answer, but I, I do, I mean, it probably was a little bit of a surprise and I think is to any business owner. There are moments where you're like, man, I, you know, I have this one idea, but I, I didn't think about having to also figure out finances and taxes. And I mean, for me, a big one was learning how to manage people. You know, I was pretty, I was 25 when I started Skillpop. So I, hadn't managed anyone before I was, and then I was hiring my own employees and figuring that piece out. So, but I think that was also, um, kind of, a, an exciting part of it, a really fun part of it was to one thing at a time, just learn how to be a business owner and learn how to grow something and how to build something. And I also, the nature of skill pop, I've also always been surrounded by at least 20 other business owners. Yeah. You know, they are photographers and PR experts, marketing leaders, florists, but, um, I think what has been amazing about my business specifically, but also the Charlotte startup community has been tapping into groups of other people who are doing the exact same thing. Yeah. You know, none of us are doing, many of us are doing this for the first time, but none of us are the first ones ever doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you launched your first class in August of 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, September. Yeah. September. Sorry. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, and by March you're hiring your first person. Mm-hmm. How many classes were you doing a month by March? We were, March, we hit 20 classes a month. Okay. Um, and I, for a long time, I could tell you exactly how many classes we did per month up until that March time frame. I think it was like seven in January, 14 in February, 20 in March. But um, March was the point that I quit my job and hired an employee because up until then, and even that month, I had been at every single class. So I would go into this nonprofit to do project management. I would leave about three o'clock go home, organize materials, put on a Skillpop t-shirt, run over to our venue that night and get ready to check people in. And so you think 20 classes in a four-week month. I was at something from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m., Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every single week. And so we started to – I started to run out of days in the month that I could schedule classes, and I was still meeting all these great teachers. Um, And so I had a couple couple points where I – 
you know, threw a skill pop t-shirt at my husband and he ran to one class and I ran to another and we both thought, okay, this is maybe the point to, to bring someone on to help. So January, February, March, did you only schedule how to start a business, um, skill pops or no? You know, I know you're <laughs> making a joke there, but I, people have asked all the time, you know, in forums like this, like, oh, how did you, like, I don't have a business background. I didn't go to business school. I took one entrepreneurship class in college, but people have asked like, oh, how did you learn how to start a business? And I mean, I was in the marketing class in the back taking notes, and I was in the social media. Like I, I was soaking it in every step I could get. Although we did not have a how to start a business yeah. class that early. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so, how many cities are you in today? So we've just opened our sixth city in okay. Atlanta, Georgia, last fall. So how long did it take you, March? So you're March 2016. We're mm-hmm. running 20 classes mm-hmm. a month in Charlotte. How long before you went to your next city? So we opened um, Raleigh that fall of 2016. Okay. And really it was because of my NC State roots. You know, as soon, pretty much as soon as I launched Skillpop here in Charlotte, and I'm sharing about it on my personal social media, and um, a lot of friends and family are following along with us on Instagram and in our weekly newsletter. So I was already hearing from all my friends who stayed in Raleigh, you know, can we, can we have this too? Can you bring this to Raleigh? So that idea was planted pretty early. And then once I had, I mean, really just a couple of part-time employees to help me cover the bases here, I started working the summer of 2016 on opening our Raleigh market. So were you going up there to manage mm-hmm. the Raleigh? How oh. did that transition, how did the transition go from, okay, I've got Charlotte kind of, um, I don't want to say on cruise control because yeah. it's never on cruise control, but, but I have it Charlotte was starting running. to run. Yeah. And then are you up in Raleigh to get it off the ground? And then how was that transition? How are you now open? How is the first city helping you open up new cities as you go yeah. forward, right? Um, so <coughs> I was up in Raleigh a lot that summer of 2015 or 2016, excuse me, um, laying the groundwork. So I, um, I had a bunch of girlfriends who were still in the area. So I usually, you know, would text my one friend and say, Hey, I need to come up for, you know, crash her guest room, all that. Um, but I would come up and I was meeting potential teachers and I was touring venues and networking and just getting back in the area. I probably spent gosh, maybe every other week that summer in Raleigh for a couple of days. Um, And then we started our Raleigh classes in August. I had one employee who had been part-time with me in Charlotte who was moving there for grad school. So she kind of helped make that a seamless transition. And that was, um, man, this feels like so long ago. That was the intention when she came on. You know, we sat and talked about it and and she was like, oh, I'd love to help you open in Raleigh. And so she had taught a class with us. She'd worked with us some. And so she um, had seen how we were doing things in Charlotte. So it really could help me transition that over to a new city. And then I hired a community manager. So we don't currently operate under this model. But for, uh, gosh, probably about two years, I had a local community manager running each market that we were in. And so that was um, here in Charlotte and then Raleigh and Greenville. And so I... I kind of laid the groundwork, got our first few teachers, our venue partnerships, our first couple months of classes scheduled, and then trained someone to help take it from there and and be our boots on the ground in Raleigh. So you're running Raleigh, you've got a community manager Mm -hmm. there, you're running Greenville, you have a community manager there, and then you're the community manager here in Charlotte, or do you have somebody here too? Um, well, I had someone here, and I'm kind of I'm like skipping ahead and blurring yeah. timelines a little bit. But you know, we we opened Raleigh 2016, so ran those two cities. Uh, spring of 2017, we took a, a 
of road trip, took a tour, skill pop tour, did three weeks and went to six different cities and tested a couple classes in each city. And then out of that tour, I launched in Greenville and Nashville the fall of 2017. So if I'm fast forwarding a little bit, 2017 is really where I'm starting to have a bigger team across the Southeast. And by bigger team, I mean, I mean like seven people, yeah. <laughs> you, know? you know how it is. Um, so I had, I had someone who was the community manager here in Charlotte that wasn't me. And then I had someone in Greenville, someone in um, Raleigh. And we've always also had a part-time staff that's kind of our front of house role, you know, who's at classes, wearing the t-shirt, checking people in, yep. making sure things run smoothly. Um, so we were, we were just at that kind of tipping point of starting to experiment with scaling and see, you know, okay, this, this concept, we, we had great traction from the beginning in Charlotte, great organic word of mouth and great PR, um, and felt very, very supported by the community. So it was kind of 2016 and 2017 were the phases of, well, what is, what happens if we leave this city that's embraced us so much? Does this concept work somewhere else? And Mm -hmm. it was kind of those first phases of testing that. But you've skipped over the course, so if I picked it up correctly in your statement earlier, um, you had community managers in those cities. You don't have community managers in the city anymore. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was that learning process, right? Um, How did you learn that it either wasn't right or it wasn't necessary? Or um, I mean, talk about your own growth as you're going through this, right? Yeah. Um, You know, I think not necessarily skill pop, Haley's growth. Totally. Totally. Well, you know, I think the interesting thing is um, a lot of my, a, a lot of, I think, the early stages of building a startup is testing and iterating, right? And and kind of even that is a little bit where my engineering background comes into play is, you know, getting a prototype out and then seeing how it works, what's wrong, where are the holes, what can we do better? And so, um, you know, 2016, 2017, I started um, growing a team, launching cities, see if this would scale and and put it out there with my best guess of how we would do that. And every single city that we've opened, we've learned how to do it better and learned what works and what doesn't work. And so um, the community manager model, I think, made still makes a lot of sense, um, but has some has some challenges. First of all, I think it is just it is hard to scale a business into multiple cities. You know, that's the more I'm doing this and talking to other business owners who are location specific, you know, we have a physical product or service that we do here versus online. I can send it anywhere or a, you know, a software that I, anyone can subscribe to. Um, just scaling into new cities is hard. That was kind of the first thing. And so, um, uh, as much as I would have liked to, we did not take off as quickly or as easily in other cities that we did in Charlotte, you know, yeah. with each one, there were challenges, you know, it was harder to get the word out or harder to communicate. You, when you grow a team remotely, it's a lot harder to communicate than when you and I are sitting in an office um, running through things all day. Yeah. And so, um, and we also moved really fast. And I think it was good. I didn't try on purpose to do the move fast and break things, but kind of moved fast and broke some things. And so, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of even how to synthesize this. I think the the biggest thing I learned was really just to, to test different options. You know, we, um, when I was about a year and I'll say first, I had great community managers, you know, there wasn't a part of it that was, um, it, it was just kind of, there were challenges with it. And so yeah. one of the challenges was I had one person in a city who was responsible for several different job functions, you know, things that in a larger organization would be separate roles, you know, whether that is 
recruiting new teachers in new venues or on the ground marketing or the operations and logistics of running 20, 30, 40 classes a month, um, that one person was really responsible for all of that. And those tend to be, I mean, I do not have all of those specific strengths, right? Yeah. So I had kind of on my team, I had some people who are naturally good at parts of it and people who are naturally good at others. Um, so I was starting to see that and feel that and also just feeling the challenges of being a small bootstrapped company with a team spread out. Um, and what ended up happening was I had two community managers exit at the same time for different reasons. Um, and so that really gave us an opportunity to go back to the drawing board and say, let's just try this again and make a new hypothesis on the best way to structure our organization. And that was um, about a year and a half ago. And I said, look, I think we might be more successful if instead of having three people who are all responsible for recruiting new teachers, what if I have one person who's really great at that and I'm able to unleash them on every city that we're in? Or if I have, you know, instead of having three people who are managing the schedules for three individual cities, can I have my most detail-oriented, process-driven person run the schedule for every city? And so that's what we migrated to. You know, when I had this um, this kind of natural shift happen, we kind of looked and said, all right, well, what is our team like now? What are the pieces we have already? And then where else can we plug in? And we just kind of changed course. And it has allowed us to... Um, I think be much more dynamic and lightweight in each of these cities has let the people on my team do um, be best at what they're best at, if that makes sense, you know, be most effective. Yeah. Um, and then hope, you know, that's kind of what we're learning with Atlanta now is it's hopefully making it easier and faster for us to go into new markets because I'm not, you know, I, it's my same team that's doing it. Now, all that said, we also have a really great part-time team who is supporting all of this. So my core team, my full-time crew is very small and very specialized. And then in each city, we still have a lead. We just scaled their responsibilities back to make it a sweet part-time gig. Yeah. Um, and then we still have a bunch of class managers. So, yeah. you know, I have seven, um, seven great people on the ground in Raleigh, but this is like their side hustle. You know, I don't have one person who's trying to manage the entire market. Um, so anyway, who knows, you know, in two years, we'll probably still be learning about what works well and what doesn't, but that's where things are now. Hopefully so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, along the way, you hopped on board and went down to Austin and did Techstars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you went down there with um, fellow local startup, um, Maggie from Skipper mm-hmm. and... Uh, Dina Carey from, okay. it was Milkful at the time. Their okay. brand is Nourisher now. Yeah. Um, what was that like for you? Uh, it, I mean, it was an amazing experience. <clears throat> and so it, who chose who? Did you, did you seek out them or did they <laughs> seek out you? Um, a little bit of, <laughs> I'm thinking, was it a little bit of both or was it a little bit of neither? Um, <laughs> it was really Lisa Ganderson, mm-hmm. formerly of the Wed Click, was a huge advocate for Charlotte in the Texas Austin year. So I will give her all the credit for making it happen. You know, she had gone to Texas the year before and I think really put Charlotte on the map in Austin a little bit and given us a little more visibility. And so when the managing director there was making his tour of cities to go scout in. Charlotte landed on that list. Um, I got invited to like just a happy hour meet and greet with him. His name's Amos. Um, that I skipped, I think, because I had classes all week and I was You're tired. Had, yeah, probably tired or was out of class. I don't remember, but I do remember that I didn't make it. And so Lisa connected us after the fact. So 
um, you know, I'm getting this intro email. I was not super familiar with Techstars, but um, Amos and I got on a call and I shared a little bit about where we were at Skillpop. He shared a little bit about Techstars. And I got off and thought, oh, okay, well, that was interesting. But um, it really took a little while for it to kind of, I think, simmer and, and for, for me to get more interested. Um, and even just to see to see where our needs aligned with what with what they offer. Because um, really, this this was kind of at the tipping point I was mentioning of we've just moved super fast, scaled into Raleigh, Greenville, and Nashville within the span of about 14 months. And my team went from being, you know, four to seven or three to seven or something like that. And so I, I was feeling the growing pains and feeling stretched and feeling a little overwhelmed and just feeling like, shoot, where do I, where do I go for help? You know, I'm doing this for the first time in a very supportive city, but in a, but in a smaller city as far as the startup life goes, yeah. you know? And so I, I didn't feel like I had at the time, I really didn't have that many, um, that many mentors or people I, I knew or could reach out to. Um, so when Techstars crossed, when we crossed each other's paths, you know, it was a really good timing to where I felt like, you know, I, I need some help taking this to the next level and figuring out where to go from here. <clears throat> what was your biggest takeaway from the Techstars experience down there? Um, and it doesn't have to be one. If it's 10, you can list all 10. Yeah, so I'll do two things. Um, one, well, first thing I'll say is I went in with a pretty specific um, pretty specific idea of what I was looking to get out of it. How did you come to that? How did you come to this is what I'm looking for? It was what my what my needs were, you okay. know. So the first thing was I really um, they they sold themselves on helping you find great mentors, and that was something I needed. So I I went in saying I'm looking for that mentor or a couple of mentors that I can call anytime and say, shoot, I don't know what you know I'm having to figure this out or I have a problem. What do I do about it? I was looking for that. Um, I was looking to really get a lot tighter on my vision and just figure out like, man, okay, this went from zero to 60 real fast. Where are we trying to go next? Um, and now I can't even tell you what the third thing was, but I remember there was a third thing. That's, for, that's fun. Yeah. So I, I remember anyway, going into it with, with a couple of things. Um, I mean, the mentorship, it was, was a huge takeaway. Yeah. Um, just even tapping into a totally different network and ecosystem for four months was really powerful. And they, they, are a very, very supportive um, network that wants startups to succeed. So that that was a huge part of it. And then I think the other thing for me was really just getting a much bigger vision of what this could be. You know, it was having, I think, a combination of um, being around other startups and, and having exposure to much, much bigger companies and having other people speak into what I was trying to build um, was just something that, I mean, it was just a unique opportunity that I hadn't had before. Um, so you grew up in North Carolina, mm -hmm. um, you went to NC State, mm -hmm. you came to Charlotte, and then Techstars picks you up and it drops you in the middle of Texas. I mm -hmm. think kind of sort of the middle of Texas, right? Everything's in the middle of Texas. Roughly, yeah. yeah. You got to get through a lot of Texas to get to Austin. Yeah. Um, so, um, I mean, how much of it was that, right, that it just completely got you out of your comfort zone anyways, um, or was it literally just the program is so well designed it's so helpful in addressing the needs that you were walking into yeah you know I'd spent a lot of time traveling already especially as we were opening new markets I'd mm -hmm. spent a lot of time um in Greenville a lot of time in Nashville and so at least in the southeast I felt pretty um 
you know, I didn't feel like I was holed up in Charlotte, just kind of spinning my wheels in an office. Um, so I, some of, some of it was maybe a new environment was feeling like it was, you know, like I said, like tapping into a network in a different city is going to be all new, you know, it's going to be, it, so it, it really doubled, doubled my network. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of it was more getting out of my comfort zone by the design of the program versus by being in a different city. Yeah. And a lot of it was being able to, um, step away from the day to day of the business. You know, I ran into a um, friend of a friend this morning who's running a nonprofit and she's going through an incubator right now. And we're just talking about how, how powerful it is to step out of, you know, you can, you can get into the grind of like, Oh, I got to send this email, make sure this class goes well, uh, respond to this survey feedback, order materials, take your, you know, kind of the task list of just the keeping the wheels turning. So I think the biggest thing wasn't a new city necessarily, but just totally getting away and stepping back and getting to be high level. Um, you know, I was of course still working say, closely with my team and talking say, to them second, every day. And, and, but I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't at classes. <laughs> I wasn't, um, as much in the nitty gritty as I had been for a couple of years. Cause I had a great team that was helping run the show. How much, how much did that aspect actually help you realizing that you step away from the business and actually focus on running the business that the business still runs itself? Was that helpful to see? You know, I think it was, and I think it was more just being able to kind of, um, just taking the time to, I don't know, like to, to ask questions about, okay, why do our students actually come to classes? You know, what are uh, customers looking to get out of Scope Up and are they getting that? And it was more just having um, having time and space to look at every facet of what we're doing and kind of play with it and see where it broke and see where there were holes and see where there were opportunities we weren't even thinking about. Um, no, that was that was huge. Yeah. Yeah. So you just stole one of my questions. Oh, sorry. No, you're good. So it's good to know that you were asking the same question at Techstars. But I mean, the question is, is what is the driving force? What's the driving demand behind Skill Pop? Yeah. Why has it become what it's become? Um, I, I think it's a couple of things. Um, and I, you know, one of my favorite things uh, that I get to do is when I get to go to classes and kind of see for myself who is in the room and why do they come. Um, for a lot of people, I think it is the in-person social experience. You know, it's why um, wine and paint popped up 10 years ago and started to be big. It's a lot of, you know, we, we've kind of, I see us as a pendulum swing in the world of trends where, you know, we've had social media and we've been getting more and more, you know, connected with more and more people about online and so much has moved to efficiency and convenience um, that I think there's a craving for things in person again. You know, I think there's a craving for a t couple of hours where your phone's put away um, where you can learn from someone who's right there in the room and you can say, hey, can you show me how to do that again? You know, that's just, it's the way we all learned growing up. And so I think it's a normal thing that um, that resonates with a lot of people. So I think that's a big part of it. I think part of it is, um, at least here in Charlotte, you know, for it was similar to me. You know, I moved here, I didn't know anyone. And a lot of people, um, or really some of my favorite people to meet in classes are people who have just moved here and they're looking for, how can I get plugged in? How can I meet people? Where do, where do I go to do something for fun? Um, and then, you know, I think the last thing is, if, whether it is watercolor or social media marketing or 
productivity. I think everyone wants to, wants to be a better version of themselves or wants to try new things or start hobbies. Or, I mean, it's why, you know, we're recording this on January 10th. Everyone has their list of goals and resolutions. And so I think we play into that a little bit as well, but yeah, I, I could go on and on about the different people I meet in classes and what they come for. So, um, you mentioned phones. This is a great point. So, um, our neighborhood, um, happens or the corner where we live in our neighborhood happens to be the bus stop. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the bus stop for all levels, right? For elementary school, middle school, and then high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, one of my neighbors came over to my house yesterday and he said, hey, I just pulled into, you know, um, onto your street. And as I was pulling into the street, um, it was middle school bus pickup. And there were seven kids standing at the bus stop, all with their head down yeah. to their phone. Yeah. Do you worry about that from a future competition perspective, that AR, VR, or any of that replaces skill pop? Or, um, I mean, I wouldn't because I think you're right. Mm-hmm. I think people do want that interpersonal aspect of it. But does that keep you up at night any or no? Not even a little bit. Yeah. And I am um, I am an optimist at my core. Yeah. So I am totally might just be optimistic. But, no, I, you know, I, think it, I think it is hard to replace a person-to-person connection and a community connection. And I think there's a lot of things that, um, screens can do. And I think there's some things they can't. Yeah. So what does keep you up at night then? You know, it changes. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like, what was it last night? (laughs) Um, no, it changes. It changes all the time. And it is usually, um, related to just, okay, how do we take this to the next level? You know, because kind of like what you alluded to earlier, that's not as simple as, just add more classes, it usually means, oh, shoot, now I'm managing a team. Like, that was a big thing for me that kept me up at night for a long time was learning to be a manager. And it was that, like, that was a whole and still is a whole learning experience. Um, It is still moving into new cities and figuring out the right pace. I think pace is a hard thing for startups and everyone does it differently. But, you know, um, moving quickly enough and aggressively enough, but still maintaining a level of quality. That's something that's really, really important to us. Um, So that keeps me up at night. Um, Team culture, making sure everyone's happy on a remote team. Yeah, there's, I feel like I could like list 10 things. So speaking of um, staying with the the pace, the Mm -hmm. cadence of new Mm -hmm. cities, um, it's like a badge of honor in the startup world these days to raise money, right? Mm Because raising money allows us to throw, throw fuel on the fire totally. and we can grow faster and we can do this and we can do that. Yeah. And it also means that we can tell everybody that we raise money. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, but the nature of skill pop lends it to be, I don't want to say profitable from day one, but more it so yeah. does lend itself. So, yeah. um, I mean, how do you address, I mean, how do you address the, do I need to raise money? When do I need to raise yeah. money? Um, question that every startup kind of ponders around a little bit? Um, that is a great question. And that's also something that's kept me up at night yeah. in some phases. Um, if, you're, if you're awake tonight at 2 a.m., I'm sorry. No, that one I'm feeling pretty yeah. good about right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, the first two years that I was starting Skill Pop, raising money was not even on my radar. You know, I, um, and maybe this sounds like naive or ridiculous, but I'm, I truly started this with kind of a like, let's see what happens approach and out of a need that I had and out of, you know, I, so I, I didn't, you know, as part of that business plan, raising money was never part of the equation or part of, it didn't, I don't even, I can't tell you, but it just did not even cross my mind. And I think part of that is like you said, it's the nature of skill pop. You know, I 
did a couple of classes for free as a test, but I, you know, I, I picked hand lettering because I, it wasn't expensive materials. You know, I thought, well, I can foot the bill for, um, what we need for this class. And so I did a couple for free, but then, you know, by month two, I was, um, I was charging for tickets and making a little bit of money and covering costs. I wasn't paying myself for a while, but I was able to, um, I was able to kind of build it, build it up really without any funding at all. Um, aside, I guess we self-funded technically. Um, anyway, so for two years was not even on my radar. And then of course we go to Techstars and I remember in those conversations, um, saying, well, you know, before I was in the program and before I was accepted saying to the managing director, like, you know, I, I don't know if, are you going to push me to raise money? Like, is that kind of the goal of this? Do you just, are all these companies supposed to come out and get major VC funding and really take off? Because I don't know about that. Like I'm, I'm taking this a day at a time. And so, um, he assured me that, no, that was not the whole point of the program. They wanted to build successful companies, how, you know, support startups, however that looked. And it's funny, we'd, you know, we'd have, and then this is a little bit of an aside, but we'd have a workshop at Techstars and it would start to go down the path of, well, here's how, you know, here's how you raise capital and making assumptions that everyone's going to raise funding. And my director would shout for the, the back, like, well, what about the bootstrap startup? <laughs> you know, it's very uh, lovely and, and cognizant that I was kind of figuring it out. Um, but regardless, I still came out of that and was thinking like, oh, shoot, should we raise? You know, should we, do we have something that's so good that I need to raise a million or $2 million and really go after this right now? Um, and you know, it's, it is just a funny thing. In my opinion, funding is just a funny thing because there are days where what I hear is like, oh my gosh, well, why don't you raise a bunch of money and really take this big? And there are a lot, you know, when I started to go down that path, a lot of what I heard changed to like, oh, don't, don't raise money if you don't need to raise money. You know, the, the advice really, really flips back and forth. And there were, this was probably six months or a year where I, I really started looking at it and got pretty serious and had a lot of conversations and ultimately just did not have a good feeling. You know, just, I just didn't, it felt icky. I didn't want to. And that's really like, that's what it was. I feel like one of the biggest things I learned really early in scope up was just to trust my gut. And I just had this gut feeling that it wasn't right for us at this time. And so, um, I like, we have just been scrappy since day one. We stayed scrappy. We cut back. I was paying myself almost nothing. Um, and, and just kept trying to, trying to build it the way we built it from the beginning. Um, and I don't even remember what your original question was anymore. Yeah. Raising money. Yeah. So it's something that I, I still think about and I read about and, um, but I feel like the, I have really enjoyed, um, I've really enjoyed running a bootstrapped business yeah. so far and enjoyed the freedom that comes with that, the control that comes with that. Um, and being able to kind of call the shots and focus on what I think is most important for our business. I'm not saying that all of that changes. You know, I, I know there are really great investors and partners out there. Um, but I've so far, I've been really happy with where we are on that side of things. Yeah. <clears throat> Any startup in and of itself is a, um, it's a family affair, right? You mm-hmm. never do it by yourself because it's always with you. Um, and in your case, it was even more of a family affair as your husband came mm, and worked with you did. for a little yeah. while, right? How did yeah. that go? It um, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's such a loaded question. You're like, how, how's your marriage? Yeah. Um, 
No, it was it was a it was good. So it's the southern way of asking how you work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hear you work together. <laughs> um, so he the kind of the story there is, you know, of course he it he was involved in in kind of like the late night brainstorming side of things and yeah. would come to classes with me was um, definitely saw it happening. And simultaneously in his career, he had started to transition. We were both engineers is how we met in college. Um, he had started to transition from more traditional engineering product development to um, more of a, just a business role. And so what I remember is him coming home and, and saying things like, man, I like what I'm doing, but I wish I was doing it for your company. You know, wish I was getting, you know, I'm doing these things that I feel like would, could be so cool and impactful at Skill Pop. And so he pitched me on joining the business and we talked long and hard about it for a long time. Um, we, uh, this is maybe a fun fact. We, um, became friends with Maggie and Sebastian of Skipper, Maggie of Skipper, um, at the time, the Waggle company around the time that we were starting to talk about working together. And so one of the first times we hung out with them was brunch at Toast in Dilworth. And I remember going into it thinking like, okay, we're going to learn what it's like to be a husband wife company. You know, I want to hear everything they have to say about it because they were working together from the beginning. Um, Anyway, but we, I mean, we took that decision really seriously, both from a relationship standpoint and from a, like, this is, you know, all our eggs in one basket. Um, So it, it didn't, it was not the long-term right thing for us. You know, we ended up working together for um, over a year, less than a year and a half, somewhere in, somewhere in there. And I think we both would say we would do it again. We are glad we did it. The things that happened that year, like going to Techstars, you know, the fact that he was working on the business. And so instead of us being long distance for four months, we both could pick up and move to Austin. That was like, it gave us kind of, as a couple, some incredible life experiences. Yeah. Um, and he also was able to to help our business in ways that I wasn't. You know, we, even though we studied the same thing in college, we had very different strengths and weaknesses. And so he was able to kind of leverage some of his strengths that I didn't have. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you know, we, um, we just didn't like working together as much as we liked the rest of life together. It wasn't the highlight of our relationship. We liked everything else about being married more. And so, um, I had a couple of, um, people that kind of were moving around and we basically had a point where he had the opportunity to move on to his next thing, you know, where he wasn't like, really tied into the day to the day. A lot of his, what he had been doing for the business had just passed on for someone else. And we sat down and really just said like, okay, is this, is this the point where we, where you find something else to do at Skill Pop or is this the right time to go back to where we were? And yeah. so, um, he ended up going back to his old company and reached out to his, he had a great boss he got along with there. And so, um, it kind of, the, the door just swung right back open, you know, for him to go back. So, Anyway, it. I mean, I think it's so interesting. I, because of that, I talked to a, a number of couples who worked together, and there are, there are some who worked together for 30, 40 years and say it's the best thing about their life. Yeah. Um. There were a lot of. It's kind of funny. You feel like you, you, you got to see inside other people's relationship when you say, "Oh, my husband's coming to work with me," because yeah. half of them would say, "Oh, wow, you yeah. know, I would never do that." Um, my life, my wife would leave me after the first day. That's what a certain, lot yeah. of people would say. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's. Int- I think for some people it just works, and for some people it doesn't. Like yeah. I said, we're both glad we did it. But yeah. Speak, speaking of moving on, so um, not from your husband. Uh, yeah, well, we're still very happy and together. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, no, but um, so you opened Atlanta in the mm-hmm. fall, mm-hmm. Um, and you had this period of kind of rapid growth, mm. and then it sounds like expansion from to new city kind of slowed down a little bit. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, and then you opened Atlanta in the fall. Um, how are you gonna How are you gonna manage future openings? Or right now, is it more? Have you already started to try to figure out where you're going to open next mm-hmm. and you don't have to tell the world where you're going to open next, yeah. but have you already started to figure that out or is it more about growing where you are or is it possible now have you learned an, enough over the last couple of years that you can start to try to do both again, where you grow your existing cities as well as tackle a new one? Yeah. Um, we are hoping to be doing both again. Okay. You know, I'd say we, we took a, um, a hiatus to focus more on just growing where we are. And after that phase of very rapid expansion, um, I mean, we had that big operational change in how our staff was structured. And I remember doing a panel and talking about how we were just doing like the under the hood stuff. Like, so there's probably a year and a half like that was like the under the hood, not glamorous, not exciting, no PR kind of work. But, um, but I, I would not have been able to open a new city without it, Mm -hmm. you know? Where we are now, I would say, is um, the strongest we've ever been. The um, we're seeing a lot of really great growth in some of our secondary city. You know, Raleigh's growing a lot right now. Greenville is doing really well, and Atlanta's had a great start. And so it is a constant for me. It's a constant if-then statement. You know, and so we have um, Q2 and Q3 and Q4 goals that include opening additional markets. It all depends on Q1, how Atlanta does, yeah. right? So it's kind of, um, it's we, we have our, our plans, assuming certain things fall into place. Yeah. Um, and, and that's probably how I approach it is, you know, we're, we're starting, and honestly, the book traction really has played a big part here as well in how, helping us define our long-term vision and then also saying, okay, what are we doing in the next three years and what are we doing this year? Um, and, and breaking that down a little bit, but I'm, it, I mean, last year we set out plans and some of them happened and some of them changed. I'm sure that'll happen this year too. You keep getting a step ahead of me. Oh, um, sorry. That's okay. Um, when did traction come into your life? When did you first read it? After about eight people told me to, and I didn't listen for two years. Um, but I read it last March. Okay. So a yeah, year ago ish. A year ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. How quick were you to put it into action? I ordered a copy for everyone on my team as soon as I finished it and okay. we implemented it that week. Um, popular in the startup community? I know a few people who use it, okay. not everyone. It's You're the second startup I've heard okay. use it out of hundreds that I've talked to. Now, yeah. Some people don't openly talk about it, so yeah. I'm sure there's probably others. But how easy is it to incorporate into your business as it grows and shifts and everything else? Sure. Have you? I have to ask, have you read it? Yes. Okay. Um, it, so I, I, like I said, I'm a big reader, and I... Um, especially early, I read a good number of business books. Um, Like I said, studied engineering, didn't take a finance class, you know, trying to figure this out as I go. Traction is my number one, what I recommend to other entrepreneurs now, because it was by far the most practical Um, for any, for anyone who hasn't read it. It really laid out, um, you know, a lot of things like how do you develop vision? How do you hire the right people, put them in the right seats, things like that. But then it also says, okay, every year, run a meeting to plan for your year. Here's how to do that. You know, we did that last Thursday and Friday and we followed it to a T. It was incredible. Uh, every quarter, here's how you do your quarterly meetings. I mean, it really lays out like step one, step two, step three, four, just how to run your business well. 
Um, so to me, it it was um, it was easy to implement. It took the amount of time to get comfortable with it that the book says it will. Yeah. <laughs> I and I like flip back through it. I mean, it, it says you know start your quarterly meetings this way. It'll take a couple quarters for it to feel comfortable, and it has. You know, we've um, the, it's really helpful for setting goals for following metrics, and we're slowly getting better and better at setting good goals and tracking the right metrics. Um, but it, I mean, it is the kind of book that I wish I read two, three years earlier. Yeah. yeah. So as, as this, 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 the statement here over and over again, after somebody's read it, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you found mentors in, um, in Austin mm-hmm. at Techstars. Mm-hmm. Have you found local mentors? A few. Yeah. Yeah. How do you stumble across local mentors in a non-startup city like Charlotte? Um, are you calling it a non-startup I'm city? I'm just kidding. Okay. Yeah, just tongue in cheek. It's a, it's an angel connection podcast. Yeah. Of course yeah. yeah. No. Um, you know, what I've appreciated about Charlotte from the beginning is that it, it has felt like a place to connect easily, whether you are a startup, whether you are just someone who's moved here. And I experienced that first as someone who just moved here, um, and met a whole lot of other people who had just moved here and were looking for friends, were looking for things to do. And then I experienced that again as someone who had a startup, you know, because it is not the huge ecosystem that New York or San Francisco or even Austin is. I mean, Austin was a great place to get connected to. It's not as huge, but um, because of that, it does feel like it's easy to gain access to the other people in the city who are doing cool things. Um, A lot of the people who have influenced my um, road are are really peers first and were peers first. A lot of my closest friends are also in the startup world and they're often the ones that I go to and I'm like, oh man, I have this thing I'm trying to figure out. I, um, I've talked to my team or I can't talk to my team about it, or I'm trying to think about this. What do you think? I mean, a lot of times those are my first people. Um, and then how, you know, how I met those and how I've met mentors, it is at some of the events that happen around town, you know? Um, and then it's also through, you know, friends of friends and things like that. Um, I have not always been the best at getting out there into the community. A lot of times because the events that happening are happening are the same time as skill pop classes. So depending on the season, I'm um, available in the evenings or I'm not available in the evenings. But um, that, yeah, it's, I don't know if that answers. No, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the, um, it's not metric. I'm, I'm not trying to think of metric, but um, what's the most important aspect of skill pop? Is it the, is it the, literally the in-class experience and Mm -hmm. if it's the in-class experience how do you consistently deliver that from class to class when there's so many dynamics that change Mm. Um, is it first of all I guess is it the experience that people get from coming mm -hmm. to is that the most important thing is it the ease with which people can sign up what what is it that's kind of um I think the ease with which people can sign up helps. Yeah. And I'll tell a very fast story. I had a woman a couple of years ago at a public speaking class say she was so glad she found it because she tried to take one at you know some local college and they were asking for her college, her high school transcript or her and she you know was 20, 30 years out of college. So yeah. I, I mean I I wanted this to be accessible, easy in person learning. I think that helps, but ultimately it's the in class experience, and ultimately that's most influenced by our teachers. Um, we work with about 150 different teachers. Most of them are small business owners. They're uh, local experts, local professionals. They are, you know, floral, florists and artists, 
marketists and marketing leaders and PR consultants and all kinds of things. And, you know, a lot of what I do, what my company does is to try and manage and control and perfect every aspect of the class from check-in to venue to, to the sign-up experience and how many emails you get. You know, we try and make that super consistent. But at the end of the day, when people write in and say, oh my gosh, I love the class, the next thing they say is, Corey was fantastic. Yeah. You know, they say the teacher was so patient, so thoughtful, so helpful, so engaging. And so that really is a huge core of our business. You know, I said earlier, I have a super small team. There's just four of us full time, but it is the, you know, the 150 teachers that we're working with that are making Scope Up what it is. So how do you vet the, um, I'll pick on CPAs because they're so easy to pick on mm-hmm. in this scenario. The CPA that wants to teach about taxes um, I know some really good CPAs that they get in front of that room and that room is empty five minutes yeah. later. <laughs> Going for the easy CPA <laughs> jokes over there, yeah. Um, so how do you control that aspect of it? So we have a um, an application and interview process uh, for okay. teaching. Yeah. Okay. So that is a lot of what we're putting work into, what we're putting time into. Um, we have a form you can fill out on our website at skillpop.com slash teach to pitch an idea. And we're looking for a few different things. You know, I'm, first of all, I'm looking for classes that are a brand fit that I have confidence that we can sell. A lot of um, a lot of things would translate into great classes. They wouldn't all translate into classes that I can fill 20 seats with. You know what I mean? Um, I'm looking for um, instructors who are really passionate about what they do and who are really knowledgeable about what they do. So a lot of times, um, I'm learning that by seeing how much are they teaching me. You know, I'm not doing every teacher interview now, but there was a day where I did and. I'm vetting people who have expertise in things that I don't know a thing about, yeah. but that means I'd be their perfect student. And so I'm, I'm learning how are, how are they teaching me on this phone call or in this coffee meeting right now? Um, and so that's, that's a lot of it. And then, I mean, we really, we staff every class we hear from students, we get feedback about classes. And part of our role is to, to make every class the best it can be to support teachers, to help teachers grow um, grow their classes and, and go from there. But we, yeah, we have a pretty tight process that we run for vetting. Um, how hard was it to tell your first teacher no? Do you even remember? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I remember. We, yeah, I don't know if I remember. Yeah. Mm. I mean, probably I would imagine it's like anything else. The first one was, oh gosh, it's hard to say no. And then the second one, it becomes a little bit easier. And then you eventually get to this concept that you it's not that they're a bad person or anything else. You're just screening for something very particular. Yeah, and they there's don't times where it just, yeah. yeah, it's just not the right yeah, timing yeah. or not the right fit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it generally is the least favorite part of my job on that side and even like on the hiring side. Um, I don't think that's fun for anyone. Yeah. But, yeah. Except for the really mean people. Yeah. Um, so as we wind up here, I mean, we've got a couple minutes left in the interview. Um so really basic, non-business-related question that okay. I don't ask now, I'm going to forget to ask. Um, North Carolina or Texas barbecue? Oh, North Carolina okay. all the way. Oh, my gosh. The first time I had Texas barbecue, I was like, what? Yeah. What? So um, if, it's North Carolina, um, if it's North Carolina barbecue um, over Texas barbecue, um, what was the biggest takeaway that you got from Texas? Um, the business not the mentorship. Mm-hmm. Um, was it friendships that you made with mm. other startup founders out there? Was it this one component that you really figured out that raising money wasn't necessarily for me? Mm-hmm. What besides Texas barbecue are you bringing back to North Carolina <laughs> to share with other folks? 
I tell you what, if North Carolina barbecue is better, the Texas tacos do do win over us. So that is something that is something I do miss. Um, there are a couple of things, you know, this is a fun part of the story that we didn't touch on. I went to Techstars with, um, you know, Maggie and Sebastian from Skipper and with Dina from Milkful, and we all shared a house. And that's really unique and kind of crazy to do in your, you know, late 20s with a bunch of other people. So um, I think just just the the experience of doing something totally different from our normal day-to-day life of moving somewhere for four months and living with um three other friends, you know, there are five of us there total. Uh, that was a, that was a, just a big life experience takeaway. It made us, those friendships a lot closer. Um, but, but that was a big experience. I think the other thing is it, it really just, um, tested our business in every way. You know, it, it made me look at things differently, you know, take it and turn it on a, on a side to see, you know, why are we doing, it made me question a lot of things. It made me look at a lot of things differently dream bigger, think bigger. Um, and that trickled into how we run our team that trickled into raising money or not raising money. You know, it just trickled into so many different things. Did you say it was tech stars that helped you, um, uh, really polish your vision? I started there. Okay. Yeah. What's the vision for, um, for skill pop today? So the vision for skill pop today is we want to run classes in every major city in the U S is kind of our big, big goal we're working towards. I mean, I think what I saw at Techstars and through taking this to other cities in the, you know, in the couple of years that we've just started to scale is that this is not a concept that's unique to Charlotte. You know, this is not something that's just working here because of the, um, the structure of the city. We do basic things. We do learning and we do community and those are needs everywhere. What? So that's a big goal. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not small, right? Yeah. So when you say that with a big grin on your face, that's so <laughs> awesome to see. Um, what do you tell 18 year old Haley right now? I would tell 18 year old Haley that there is not one path or one ladder to success. And I say that hoping I'm still in the very early middle of the ladder, but you know, I went in to college looking for a very practical degree to get a very practical job, ended up doing something totally different and making my own path. And, um, and so that's what I would, that's what I would tell her. That's cool. Yeah. So, um, we're here, here's hoping it's a, it's a really tall ladder. Yeah. Appreciate it. So, um, but thanks for your time today. It's been great getting to know more about skill pop mm-hmm. and getting to know more about you and everything else. And, um, you build a really cool company and, um, I know I'm excited and I'm sure the rest of Charlotte is, is excited to see what it becomes. Yeah. So thank you. Good luck and go get them. Thanks. Can I make my plug for where people can find and follow Skillpop? Oh yeah, please. Yeah. Skillpop.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter. If you're in any of our markets, we send out a once a week newsletter and then we're Skillpop on Instagram and Skillpop HQ on Twitter. Okay. Instagram, easiest place, funnest yeah. place to follow. Mm-hmm. So um, while we're talking about Instagram real quick, you had a really um, really cool Instagram today. Who did you see out at your team meeting? Oh, we had lunch next to um, Luke Keekley and Greg Olson. That's right. Go Panthers. Go Panthers. So um, anyways, well, cool. Well, no. Um, yes, for all listeners, please um, please follow, sign up, um, and help promote Haley and School Pop. Thanks, William. Thanks. And others you can love.
Listed as an owner of and an investment advisor representative of Portis Wealth Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.